As we started our series last week, we talked about uh, the diversity of the gifts that are in the body, the diversity of personalities and diversity of talents and diversity of passion and diversity of spiritual gifts. We said that every believer, when they come to Christ, is gifted spiritually. And that means that my gifting may not be the same as yours, and yours may not be the same as mine, and that's okay. There's diversity in the body, and it's intended, and it's actually a beautiful thing. And the goal is for all of us to take our different gift set and our different skill set and our, our different personalities and our talents and everything and use it all for the sake of the body overall, to use it all for the sake of glorifying our one King and Savior. And it's good to address the differences that we have. It's good to be aware of that. It's good to acknowledge that we don't all have to be the same and that there's variety, and we should celebrate that. The danger, though, is that we get so caught up and so focused on the differences and what makes us different that we can easily forget to pursue unity. We can neglect being unified together because we're so focused sometimes on all that makes us different. You know, it's really easy to recognize diversity all through, all through life. And, and we're even told to, to recognize and celebrate and pursue diversity. And that, that seems to be uh, the modern message, you know, all about diversity, diversity, diversity. And, and it's easy to, to be so into that that even as the church, uh, we forget that all those differences are supposed to come together, that all of that is to come together and contribute to the one church, the one body, for the sake of the one Savior. So what we're going to do today as we continue in uh, the body aspect of our series, Body and Bride, is we're going to talk about the fact that in all that diversity, in the the diversity that, that God intended and put into the church, Within that, there should be, there must be unity. So we're going to talk about unity in diversity today. And uh, I want to start off by drawing your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that's where we were last week. And in that same passage, in the beginning of the passage, in verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul writes this. 1 Corinthians 12 starting at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. We talked about that last week. But the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, you know, varieties of ways to go about using those gifts in the service of the body, in the ministry. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each, to each individual, separate, different, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, in these verses, in these statements, the one word you see really over and over as a theme is unity. Unity. Different, variety, but all for the same purpose, all for the same goal, and all from the same source of power and of gifting from God. 
And it's all to be used for the common mutual good, for the building up of the body together. All for the glory of our one God and Savior and King. Variety, difference, uniqueness, but all held together by a bond of unity. Um, hopefully you got your coffee today. I hope that you all you know, were able to get that either at home or here. And uh, who of you likes a little bit of coffee with your cream and sugar? Who, who is that? Who, yeah, I figured there were some of you. Yeah, here's, here's a newsflash. You're not really coffee drinkers. Nope. But, uh, you know, so I, I prefer my coffee nice and, and black and bold, you know. Uh, every now and then, though, I will um, partake of a cappuccino or a macchiato. I mean, it's nice every now and then. Um, and when I do partake of that, I enjoy the complexity of it. There's a lot going into that cup, you know. When you get a cappuccino or a latte or a macchiato, there's a lot going on in that cup. Uh, it's not just coffee. You've got your espresso, which is also um, open to variety. There's all sorts of different types of espresso. There's all sorts of different beans you can draw from. And then you've got your uh, steamed milk and your froth, right? And you have your flavor. Uh, you've got caramel or mocha or peppermint or white chocolate or hazelnut and on and on we could go. I mean, there's so many choices. And so all these different varieties, all these different components come together in this cup. And though there's different parts to it, each delightful in its own way, it all comes together to form the one beverage, right? That's how it works. And then you, you consume it, and hopefully you can see the different flavors and notes of that, and you're just enjoying it all together. For those of you who aren't coffee drinkers, who's not a coffee drinker? Okay, I'm going to question your salvation <laughs> on that. But, but for now, I'll, I'll go with it, all right? Um, you may not like coffee, and so you can't really identify with anything I just said, but um, I'm sure you like the buffet, don't you? You like a good buffet? Whether it's Chinese or Italian or country, you know, you like a good buffet. In fact, I bet some of you are headed to some sort of buffet after lunch, and you're saying, hurry up and get through your talk so I can go to that buffet. Um, the, the thing that makes a buffet so good is there's all kinds of variety, and the better variety, the better the buffet, right? Uh, so you can get a little bit of everything, you don't have to just be locked into any one or two or three choices. You can just go crazy, uh, and you can buffet your body, which is biblical, right? Paul said to buffet your body. Get it? Buffet your body. Eh. Anyway. It's a cold morning. What can I tell you? But no, buffets, right? We, we all like buffets because of the variety, and that's how it's supposed to work with the body of Christ. There's all sorts of variety of gifts and of, of passion and of interest and of experience. And it's all supposed to work together, though, for the one picture of beautiful unity that's only possible through Christ. It's only possible in Jesus. Because let's, let's face it, unity is not something that's natural is it? Unity isn't something that we just naturally are good at, that we just naturally have. 
Unity together requires some supernatural effort. Because we, we find it hard to identify with people who aren't like us. We find it hard and uncomfortable to get together with people who, humanly speaking, we really don't have that much in common with. You know, if there's not already a lot of, of um, sameness between a person and another person, it takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes some work to come together with that person and actually develop a relationship and, and go forward. It just doesn't happen easily, and it doesn't happen naturally. Naturally, we gravitate towards the people who are exactly like us. You know, that's what we all want. We look for people who are just like us. Uh, most of the time, we don't deliberately seek out those who are different. And so for the body of Christ to come together with all of our differences and all of our uniqueness and to come together as one, that's going to take something beyond us, outside of us. It's going to take the power of the Spirit in us, whom we have through our collective shared faith in the one Savior. So it all comes back to Christ. The unity that we need as the body of Christ is found in Christ. It's found through Him. And what we need to remember is that unity in diversity and the unity in the body is not something that was just unique to Paul. It's not something he came up with. It wasn't his strategy. It actually started with the Lord Jesus Christ. Unity with the body, his body, was so important to him that right before he went to the cross, of all the things he could have prayed for, of all the things he could have passed on to his disciples right before he left them, he chose unity to be what his focus was on. And in John 17, which is commonly referred to as uh, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, or it might even be referred to as the true Lord's Prayer. Um, it's a long prayer. It's, it's probably the longest prayer he gave uh, in the Gospels as recorded by him. And he, he starts off and he says, Father, I pray for all of my followers here. I pray for my disciples. I pray for these that you've given me. I pray that you would, you would preserve them after I leave them. Preserve them from the enemy. Don't take them out of the world, but strengthen them as they're in the world. And so he prays for his original disciples, Peter and James and John and, and all those. But then he does something absolutely astounding. And he, he goes from praying for his immediate disciples to praying for all of his disciples, both present and future. In other words, he actually prays for you and for me. He includes us in his high priestly prayer. Right before Jesus goes to the cross. Think about that. Over 2,000 years ago, the Savior that you have received, that you hopefully, Lord willing, you're here today, and, and hopefully my, my prayer and my, my hope is that you are in Christ, that you know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And so the Lord and Savior that you have received yourself at whatever point in your life that you did that, long before you were born, long before this time in which you live, your Savior prayed that you would be unified with the rest of His followers, the rest of His disciples, at the very time that he prayed for those who were standing right next to him. Just, I mean, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? And yet it's to be believed. It's what he did. Look with me at John 17. 
John 17, verse 20. Our Lord says this as part of His prayer. I do not ask for these only. And that's referring to His original disciples right there around Him. I I do pray for these, but I don't just pray for these. I don't pray for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. That's every believer that would ever come after the disciples. So as the disciples who became the apostles went around the world and they spread the gospel, they proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, they talked about His death and His resurrection. And and think of Peter on the day the church started, the day of Pentecost, when over 3,000 people in one day became believers and became part of the church. And as their message spread to this area and that area, to that part of the world and that part of the world, and as the decades passed and more and more people believed on the gospel that was started by the original disciples proclaiming, Jesus says, everyone everywhere who will ever believe in me because of the witness and the proclamation of these disciples, I pray for all of them. I pray for all of them. That includes you sitting here today. And here's what he prayed. Here's what he asked for. That they may all all the body of Christ, all believers, may they all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So here's Jesus saying, just as you and I share the same nature, we're separate. I'm not the Father, and you, Father, are not me. We're separate. But we're also completely one in nature. We're one in being. We're one in purpose. That's the the mystery of the Trinity. Separate persons, but yet one divine being. One divine God. One divine nature. Sharing all the divine attributes and all the divine characteristics. Sharing eternity. Sharing the same will and desire. And so Jesus is saying, just as you and I share oneness, I want that to be true of all of my followers. I want that to mark every believer in me. I want them all, even though they are still their, their own people, their own individual people, with their own passions and their own experiences and their own desires, their own talents, their, their own interests, I want them, them still, though, to be one. I want their oneness to eclipse their diversity. I want their oneness to overpower and overshadow their individuality. I want them to be known as being completely together, just as you and I are completely together. And here's the purpose for that. Here's why Jesus was so passionate about asking for that, why that was so important to Him, why He prayed to His Father that that would be what was true of all of His followers. Look at what He says. So that, it's the next last part there, verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's a really important connection that we can't miss. The world, those that are outside of Christ, the unsaved, the lost, those outside of the body of Christ, will not be able to believe in the message of the body of Christ unless they see a unified body. In other words, our unity together 
adds power to our message. It adds believability to our message. It adds validity to what we're trying to say. The world out there sees enough of of scattered, broken division everywhere they look. So hearing from us that there is the possibility to have oneness and, and to have common purpose and to have shared hope and shared joy is going to really fall flat unless they see it lived out. I mean, we can say all day long, oh yeah, we, we believe in unity, unity is important, we love one another, but if they don't actually see it in action, they're not going to pay any attention to it because they see enough of the opposite every day, every aspect of their lives. Fraction, division, separation, it's all over the place. So what they need to see in the church, what they need to see and not just hear, is a body truly unified, truly together, one. And if they see that, if they see oneness in us, genuine oneness, then they will be more inclined to believe the message about Jesus that we we talk to them about we want them to listen to. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Believer, don't forget the fact that our Savior didn't just save us, but he shared his glory with us. If you're in Christ, you are a co-heir of the glory of God. You're a co-heir of eternity. The glory that is Christ by nature, He has extended to you and me something that's not part of our nature. We, we don't have the glory and beauty and goodness of God naturally, but we are given it by our Savior, and we're to share in that together, just as Jesus shares in the glory of His Father. It's the same connection. It's a beautiful picture. I've given them, given to them this glory you've given me that they may be one. There it is again. You think it's important to Jesus just a little bit? That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. And here it is again. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. In other words, as the world so used to seeing fractured relationships and division and and separation just all over the place as they look into us and see something different in us, something that is truly remarkable, a unified body, no matter what our backgrounds may be, no matter what uh, our our current interests are or our passions, the way we look at life, the the way we prefer things, through all that and over all that, there is unity. And if they see that, they're going to say, well, there's no way that came from themselves. And it gives us the chance, if, if it's ever asked or explored, how do you guys seem to be so together? How are you able to, to love each other so well? Wouldn't that be great to hear? Wouldn't that be great to have said of us and, and have people actually ask you, how is it you're able to be so unified? How is it you're able to, to love these people so well? It'd be great for us here to, to broadcast and to show such unity and such love and such respect for each other that people have to ask us. That'd be great, wouldn't it? And when they ask, it gives us the answer to say, well, it's not from ourselves, I can tell you that. It's not natural. It's not something that we just do. It's all through the Lord Jesus Christ who makes this unity possible. Let me tell you about Him so you can know the same thing. So that's how it's supposed to work. All of Jesus' followers, all of His believers, His body... We're supposed to function and live and act and proceed 
in such a way that you take all the individuals and all of our different gifting and skill set, all that makes us individual, but over all of it and through all of it, there should be such oneness and such powerful love and bond that the world can't help but take notice. And then they'll be able to say, wow, there's something to this gospel. There's something to it. That's how it should be. That's how it's supposed to work. So with that in mind, uh, I want to make sure we understand as we talk about unity, unity and diversity, I want to make sure we understand what it's not. Before we, we really understand what it is and we talk about that, we have to talk about and think about what it's not. Because there's all kinds of messages that we're bombarded with in society, in culture, about what unity in diversity really means and what it looks like. See, that concept, unity in diversity, that's something that even the unsaved talk about and, and try to manufacture and try to bring about. And there's a lot of examples of that currently uh, all throughout our culture. So what it's not is compromise with sin. That's what unity and diversity biblically is not. It is not compromise with sin. There's initials that are everywhere. There's letters, right, that that are everywhere you you go, everywhere you look. Um, What's the first letter that's very, very popular right now? The, The the letters that are just everywhere in society. The first letter is what? You tell me. L, yeah. L, and then G, right? B, T, Q, and who knows what else they're going to add to it. You know, just go through the alphabet. Um, but LGBTQ, the, the whole um, agenda of, of the homosexual platform, of, of same-sex union, of transgender push uh, of the effort to identify as something beyond what you are are naturally biologically. Uh, I mean, it's just everywhere. You can't go anywhere without seeing it in some form. I mean, before you had to work pretty hard and be pretty intentional, you know, to to get material or to to find something that was from that agenda. I mean, you had to actually kind of look for it, right? Uh, Now, it's just totally pushed on all of us. I mean, it's just, we're inundated saturated by it. You don't have to be even watching something you shouldn't be watching on TV to find now multiple commercials on multiple products have to have that obligatory prerequisite representation of the LGBTQ community, right? I mean, toothpaste, it's there. Perfume, it's there. Uh, Jewelry, it's there. Cars, insurance, it's there. It's like the editors of these commercials and things, as they're going through the editing process and they're making sure everything's in there that needs to be in there, it's like, oh, wait, we forgot. We've got to have a representation of the LGBTQ community. Let's get that in there, right? I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. And so the message of society right now, the message of culture is, yeah, unity and diversity, it's a good thing. And what that means is you can't say that if someone feels a certain way or decides to be a certain thing or identifies as a certain representation of sexuality, you can't say it's wrong. 
You can't say that there's an issue with that. You can't try to um, reason with them about the fact that that's sin and that's not what God intended and that our great designer and creator established everything that he wanted in his creation and everything his creation needed is what he put in. And we are all accountable to our creator, our designer, our lawgiver. The world says unity and diversity means you can't say things like that. You can't call anything into question. What's true for that person is true for them, and you just have to celebrate it and embrace it and encourage them and not enforce your truth on them. Because after all, you know, we know truth is always subjective, right? <laughs> of course not. No, truth by definition is objective. There can't be multiple versions of truth. It is no longer truth in that way. And, church, you need to understand that more and more and more within the body of Christ, there is a continual push toward compromise. There is a continual push within the body. Those that identify as believers in Christ, part of His body. Those that would say, yes, I believe the Bible. I believe what it says. I believe that it's the authority in in life and in faith and in practice. I believe it. But yet, there, there is just this overwhelming effort, and increasing one too, all the time it's more, to come alongside those that are clearly in violation and outside of what the Bible says, which is truth, and yet say, that's okay. There's this push within the body. I mean, well-known, very public figures who for a long time were clearly known to be solid, biblical people that, that stood on the timeless, objective truth of God's Word that along with all of the push of the culture has said, you know what? I think maybe we were a little harsh. I think maybe we were, we were being a little unreasonable to hold so strongly to the, the standards of the Word. Um, I, I think we can open up our arms and, and understand that, that people can um, be part of that LGBTQ community uh, with, without, any, without any difference in their Christianity to ours. I mean, th- there's all kinds of, of people that have said that. I mean, in the body, um, multiple pastors and multiple churches that have said, we're completely good uh, with whatever anybody is. Come on, we're, we're all one body. Unity and diversity, it's a good thing. Let's pursue that together. You, you can be homosexual and, and stand right next to me and, and praise the same Jesus and serve right along with me in the church. And who am I to tell you that you're wrong to love the person you love? I mean, God is love after all. I mean, so there's just all this departure and erosion of what is the timeless standard of truth for all eternity, which is God's Word. You know, and there's, there's even people that will say, um, well, you know, times change and what was, what was established thousands of years ago in that culture was necessary, but, but times change and culture progresses and so should we. And so, you know, let's just, let's just kind of move past some of those hard line issues and realize that, that we have to be relevant to culture. 
And the answer to that is, yeah, times change, culture changes, circumstance change, but God never does. And neither do His standards. Neither does His truth. That does not mean, just to clarify, that does not mean that we hate people that are part of that community. It does not mean we treat them hatefully. It does not mean that we um, abuse them and respond to them with, with harshness and hostility. That's not what I'm saying at all. They're still human beings, fearfully and wonderfully made by the same Creator. They still bear the image of God. And God still loves them, and so should we. But it does not mean that we compromise the integrity of God's Word, His truth, His standards. Because it is always the same. And His morality is the ultimate morality. And His truth is the only truth. So we have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of saying unity and diversity means I just accept sin and call it something else. It means I, I accept clear violations of Scripture and treat it as if it's not. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that I'm able to also uh, throw open my arms and be just all-inclusive with all the, the religions of the world, all the false teachings, all of the belief systems that are clearly opposite of God's Word and, again, His truth. It, it means that I still have to be very careful and discerning. The reason we can't coexist, it's not so popular anymore, but it used to be you saw those bumper stickers everywhere, you saw the signs coexist, and it had the symbols of all the major world religions. You know what I'm talking about? You remember that? Coexist. And there was this push for us just to all come together, and regardless of what theology and doctrine this group over here held to, it doesn't matter. We can all just come together and say, hey, that works for you, great. This works for me, um, my truth, your truth. We're all just going to come together and have a great big love fest. You know, there's, there's that there, push. And even though it's not as prevalent, it's still there. It's still a prevailing opinion. And the reason we can't coexist, church, with the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness and the Hindu and the Muslim is because they don't hold the same belief and perspective on the one Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone that says anything about Jesus other than what is clearly revealed in the Word of God, you cannot coexist with. Jesus is the ultimate measurement. He's the standard. What do people think and say about Him? That's the criteria. And if it's anything other than what is clearly and consistently, timelessly, objectively revealed in the Word of God about the eternal living Word, Jesus, if it's different, you have to reject it. And again, it doesn't mean that you hate those people. It doesn't mean you don't show them respect and dignity and even the the love of Christ. But it means you do all that without separating yourself from or compromising from the timeless standard found in God's Word. So that's what, what compromise 
or excuse me, that's what it's not, this unity and diversity that we're talking about. It is not compromise with sin in any form, whether that be uh, the, the, the sexual identity uh, platform and the, the homosexual agenda, or whether it be uh, falsehood, false teaching, false doctrine, false churches. It means you stand apart from that, separate from it, and you stand on the anchor of God's Word. So it's not compromise with sin. And I would also add it's not always agreeing with everyone about everything. I, I want to be clear on that. Unity and diversity is not always agreeing about everything with, with everyone. There's going to be times where you and I uh, don't look at something the same way. We don't agree 100% on everything. That's okay. That's all right. Um, this may come as, as news to you, but you don't have a perfect church staff here. Imagine that. You don't have a perfect church staff. Shock of shocks, right? Yeah, there are times where our staff will disagree about something. There are even times when we get on each other's nerves. There are times where um, we speak to each other in a way that's not exactly right. And we have to ask forgiveness of one another in that time. But even, even less than that, uh, even if it doesn't come to the point of, of confrontation, you know, um, there are all kinds of times in, in all of our meetings and conversations where um, one member of my staff may look at something entirely different from, from me and, and vice versa. And we, we don't agree always on every detail. But what is true of us at the end of the day, we're unified. We're unified in the work of the ministry that God has called all of us to. We're unified in the purpose uh, that He has laid on all of our hearts to make this body a unified body to go about the work of the kingdom as God has intended. So you don't have to always agree to maintain unity. Uh, We can be unified as a team here, a ministry team, without always agreeing about every little tiny detail. Uh, In history, uh, one of my favorite presidents, Abraham Lincoln, he did a remarkable thing. When he uh, beat out what were bitter rivals for the Republican nomination in 1860, I mean, these guys were at each other. They were at odds. And when he won the Republican nomination, he did what no one saw coming. After he became president, he took the very same rivals that he had throughout the whole nominating process, and he put them in his cabinet. I mean... They were, they were not friends. They didn't agree on a lot of stuff, and yet he put them in key appointments in his cabinet because he wanted to have different perspective. He wanted them to have the freedom to disagree with him, knowing, though, that through it all, they all had the same agenda, which was the, the betterment and improvement and stability of the nation. They all loved their country. They all wanted their country to be the best it could be, especially with all the, the conflict of the Civil War. And that's what kept them all going on the same page. They had the same vision. They had the same purpose. Looked at it maybe differently. Had the same common goal, though. Um, I meet with two guys uh, every month in, in the community, uh, two fellow believers, uh, both of whom are in ministry. And we're from different churches, and we look at things differently philosophically, you know, and yet we come together every single month, we meet, we encourage one another, we talk about Scripture together, we pray for one another, and it is a beautiful thing. I'm so thankful for that in my life because I have these brothers that are from different backgrounds, but we're able to come together every single time we meet and be unified with our common faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ and our common love for him and our love for one another. It's a beautiful thing. So unity and diversity does not mean you have to agree about every little thing. It does mean, though, that you must agree on the essentials. It means you have to agree on what is foundational in Scripture. Who is God? What does the Bible say about the condition of man? Why do we need a Savior? Who is that Savior? How did He come to earth? Who is He? Is He, is he really just a man or is He God-man? What does it say about the Holy Spirit? What does it say about sin? What does it say about the church? All of those things that are absolutely foundational, non-negotiable, objective, timeless, black and white issues in Scripture, you have to agree on that. But the other things, those non-essentials, there's room for looking at things differently. There's liberty there. And so we need to understand that. Um, That leads me to then uh, talk about just a little bit here uh, what unity and diversity is. If it's not compromised with sin, what is it? That's having common purpose. Unity and diversity means having common purpose. And I want to give you just a couple examples of that, of, of what having common purpose looks like in the body of Christ, at what it looks like together. Um, first of all, having common purpose means having mutual love and respect with one another. Having mutual love and respect. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... And he's not asking if there is these things as if that's up for question. He's, it's, it's rhetorical. He's saying, obvious, basically, since there is these things, these, these are absolutely true. These are definite. There is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love. There is participation in the Spirit. And since all that's true, verse 2, he says this, "...complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There's unity there. That's what he's talking about here, unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, verse 4, look not only to his own interests, which we're really, really good at doing, but also to the interests of others. See, there's mutual love and respect on display here. That's what Paul's calling for. That's what will mark true unity in the body of Christ. That we will set aside our own agenda, that we'll set aside our own interest, that we'll set aside our own preference even for the sake of our fellow believers in Christ, for our brothers and sisters. And they'll do the same for us. And imagine, just picture with me, what the church would look like, what this church, what we would look like, how beautiful our picture of unity would be if we all endeavored and chose and determined and just strived to make this true of us where I'm laying aside my own agenda, my own rights, my own preference for the sake of you, and you did that for me, and we all did that for one another. If, if we all just kept saying, no, it's not about me, it's about you, and, and the other person said, no, it's not about me, it's about you, and we all pursued this, how powerful and beautiful would the picture of unity be, right? That's what we're called to. That's how our unity should look. 
mutual love and respect for one another. And then the other aspect that should mark this common purpose, which is what unity and diversity is, is that we together would be making much of Jesus. That we would be making much of Jesus. That's really, that's really the purpose of our unity together. It's not just to come together and say, oh, look at us, we're unified, yay. It's so that we will be unified together in making much of our Lord and Savior. I want you to look with me at, at uh, Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Paul there says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement... I'm so thankful He is that, aren't you? Aren't you glad God is the God of endurance and encouragement? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ. See, we're unified together, and together we're unified with Christ. You see that connection there? In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 Peter 2.9. Love this, this verse. He says this, 1 Peter 2.9, But you, speaking to the body, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. See, there's no individuality on display there. That's not the focus. This is all about togetherness. This is corporate. This is unity. A, a royal priesthood, plural. A chosen race, plural. A holy nation. Togetherness. A people. Not just an individual, but people together. Made up of many individuals coming together. And you're all of those things, look at what it says, for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If you're in Christ Jesus today, that's true of you. That's what's happened for you. You were called out of darkness and into the kingdom of His marvelous light. And you're, you're in there not alone, not just by yourself. You're in this new kingdom, this, this marvelous light. You're, you've been called out of darkness with your fellow believers in Christ, with your brothers and sisters. And together, we're all supposed to be pursuing this, this one goal, which is to proclaim the excellencies, the glories, the matchless splendor and grace and mercy and love of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all together to lift our voices and to lift our lives and to give such glory to God together with such unity that the world cannot help but take notice and see something different and see something desirable. That's how it's supposed to be. Making much of Jesus. That's how we're supposed to be unified. That's what we're supposed to be unified toward. That means the Great Commission is supposed to, to occupy every fiber of our being, every aspect of our thinking, our mindset, our heartbeat. The Great Commission that was given to all the church, not just one or two believers, but the whole body of Christ, unified together in our Great Commission. That's, that's how we're supposed to live as ambassadors of Christ, like 2 Corinthians 5 says. 
That's what we are as Christians. We're ambassadors of our Savior. And it's not just one ambassador here doing all the work and maybe one over there somewhere far away. No, it's every believer, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how much you know intellectually, if you're in Christ, you're an ambassador for for Christ, and you're a, a part of a team of ambassadors called the body. That's how it's supposed to work. That's what unity and diversity is and what it looks like. It's common purpose with mutual love and respect for each other, making much of Jesus together. It's not compromised with sin in any way. May that be true of us here at Faith Baptist Church. May that mark us. May that define us. May that drive us forward together. And may we all remember we can't do it alone. We need each other to make this happen. And we all need the Holy Spirit and His empowerment, which we have through Christ. So it's up to us to depend on that. It's up to us to strive toward that. It's up to us to apply His power. Let's do that together, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for showing us what unity and diversity should be from Your Word. Thank You that uh, we don't have to take cues from the world around us. We don't have to take cues from culture to figure out what unity and diversity is all about and what it looks like. You've, you've shown us. You've given us a picture. You've given us a pattern. You've given us instruction in Your Word, and it's clear. So help us to heed Your Word. Help us to apply Your Word. Help us to obey Your Word. Help us to model true unity in diversity as you have established. Help us to guard against compromising with sin in any form, recognizing that that's not what unity and diversity is all about. Help us to be united with a common purpose, together with mutual love and respect for one another, together making much of your Son who has redeemed us, who's made us the church. The only reason we are the church is because of Jesus. He purchased us with His blood. He, he birthed the church through His death. So help us, Father, to honor His great sacrifice in making much of Him together. Thank You for the empowerment to do so. Thank You for giving us Your Spirit to make all of this possible individually and together. May it be so of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.